You're listening to The Myth Pilgrim, and I am Brother Lawrence of the Missionaries of God's Love. At its heart, the spiritual journey is a delightful and perilous adventure, just like the myths and fairy tales we love. This podcast is also a journey, learning from both wizards and saints, enchanted princesses and inner demons. Together, we'll discover how the great symbols of myth and fairy tale can guide us on our journey to God. Hello friends and welcome to today's episode of The Myth Pilgrim. I hope and pray you're having a wonderful Easter season and thanks greatly to all of you who gave feedback for the previous uh, Lonely Little Cave episode that I released on Good Friday. Father Dave and I are like super humbled about how our little story could touch so many of you during the Easter Tridium. Um, Yeah, so please keep the story in your prayers that it may faithfully accomplish whatever the Lord has planned for it. Today, I have for you another amazing guest speaker. Thanks to the global reach of podcasting, Danny Cote Davis, who lives on the other side of the world in England, happened across the Myth Pilgrim, and what a privilege that is for me. So, Danny is quite the J.R.R. Tolkien slash Lord of the Rings expert, and among his many Lord of the Rings themed contributions within Catholic circles, he is also one of the champions behind the cause of the canonization of J.R.R. Tolkien. Yes, you heard that right. There is a growing groundswell of people in the world who want to see a Saint J.R.R. Tolkien. Naturally, Danny and I had a lot to discuss and banter and get energised about, and so rich was this following interview that I'm going to divide it up into two Myth Pilgrim episodes. This episode will focus specifically on how the Lord of the Rings sheds light on the mystery and glory of death while a later episode will focus on Tolkien as a mystic, a prophet, and maybe one day a saint. So there's something to look forward to a little later in the year. Okay, so let's first get into part one today. Oh, I yes, I should note, when I, when I recorded this interview, Danny was actually over in the outback of Canada, in a shed collecting and preparing maple syrup. Apparently it's a seasonal thing over there. Hence, apologies for the Zoom quality audio and the occasional dropouts. But hopefully you'll be so swept up in the drama of Tolkien's imagination that you'll soon forget about all of that. Well, um, welcome, Danny, to to be a guest speaker on The Myth Pilgrim. I'm very excited to have you along. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I'm extremely excited to be here. As I said, uh, for the last 10 years, we were just talking about this before the interview. For the last 10 years, I've just been meeting people who see Tolkien's artistic vision and understand the sanctity behind it. So I'm really happy to be involved on that front for your uh, work on Tolkien as an author, a prophet and a mystic. That's Mm. fantastic. Okay, so who is Danny Cote Davis? Well, um, I'm a teacher. Um, I'm also an artist. Um, I'm a writer, a poet and also a bard. Um, Since since, uh, (laughs) about the age of 19, I was involved uh, with uh, movements in that started in England called the Bard School, um, Mm. which teaches artists based on John Paul II's letter to artists to have a prophetic voice in culture and to speak on behalf of the king. Um, If you go into the Celtic uh, bards and their history, they were worth the ransom of the king if they were taken in war. Um, That's how valued they were. And I think you see a bit of that in King Lear where the, 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 the bard has absolute uh, freedom to speak the truth and to become a conscious uh, a conscience for the society mm. that's beautiful do you want to tell us a little bit about how 
well, maybe your own experience and journey with Tolkien. Yeah, I have a whole witness to give, really. To be honest,、uh, from the age of nineteen, I was,、uh, I had this kind of light or inspiration that Tolkien himself was providing something sacred, providing something from God. And actually, the reason it all started was with that chapter about Tom Bombadil. So, in the beginning of the Fellowship of the Ring, if you、uh, go to the chapter in the house of Tom Bombadil, you get a whole encounter between the Hobbits. Uh, the halflings and Tom Bombadil and his wife Goldberry,、mm. and when I read those chapters, I was filled with the presence of God, and I was filled with the Holy Spirit, and it really struck me that literature could do that for me, and I, I felt like I was being assailed by the divine presence in a very gentle way, but also in a very forceful way.、Um, so that kind of paradox of how God works with us—he's very gentle, but he's also very powerful. And、uh, I just felt when Goldberry and Tom Bombadil were welcoming the hobbits that this was something very sacred, and、uh, that was probably my first experience where I said, "Wow, God is really in this work."、Um, I'm also、uh, started a mission,、um, which is a mission that I'll、uh, devote my life to,、um, which is called Silverion Camps.、Mm-hmm. And、uh, based on the canonization of Tolkien, we wanted to evangelize young people through Tolkien. Um, so I run a Tolkien medieval fantasy camp, which started in New Zealand, Middle Earth.、Um, I, li- I love to uh, think uh, in my、uh, kind of joy that I'm a kind of Catholic Peter Jackson.、Um, but what we're trying to do is、um, bring eight to sixteen-year-olds into a narrative, into the transcendent narrative, the healing narrative,、um, through a Uh, mythical experience, a mythopoetic experience.、Uh, Tolkien calls it mythopoesis, the the making of myths.、Uh, so we we bring them into an immersive medieval fantasy setting, and、uh, over the course of forty eight hours, they're brought into the quest, they're brought into the story,、um, and we have religious and priests who also catechise through this experience.、Mm. Um, the boys get swords, the girls get bows and arrows, and health and safety in New Zealand. <laughs> I call it health and safety. The orcs or the raka, Jesus calls those who don't love their neighbors raka. The raka, you can shoot them with arrows, <laughs> and it's absolutely kosher under New Zealand Catholic. That's great.、Uh, the paperwork is there. That was the best paperwork. The paperwork was a bit like、uh, the Silmarillion. It was an absolute、uh, trial to write and edit, but it's an absolute joy to read. Yeah. Yeah. Danny and I then went on to discuss what he felt was the quintessentially Catholic theme in the Lord of the Rings. Here, the theme of the glorious death first arises: the idea that for a Christian, death is never the enemy, nor is it even something to avoid. Rather, the full embracing of death is the authentic hallmark of a Christian, whether that death means the literal bodily death, or the death of self-will, or the death to a worldly way of living. So Danny now breaks open how the three main characters in the Lord of the Rings, Frodo, Gandalf, and Aragorn, were willing to embrace the glorious death, and by doing so, embody something of the threefold offices of Christ as priest, prophet, and king. Well, I'm going to start by framing this with、um, my own intuition that. To understand Tolkien, you need to understand his Eucharistic understanding,、um, and his Eucharistic understanding is that in the Eucharist we find death, the divine paradox, that which brings life and eternal endurance to all love upon earth. So you're going to find this mystery that death is leading into something more. 
And uh, I think there's three ways that we, there are, this is one of the themes that is just absolutely everywhere. <laughs> so um, I think let's take Frodo, for example. Uh, Frodo, who is very priestly in his suffering. If you go to Weathertop, you see the mystical experience. He's pierced uh, very much like uh, Mary's heart, which in the Gospels, we hear that Mary's heart is going to be pierced um, to reveal the, the, the human heart. That's what it says in the Gospel. And uh, Frodo is being pierced um, by a ringwraith, um, by a Morgul blade, a deathly blade. And so he's, uh, he's approaching death. He's uh, actually going to become like a wraith if it isn't for the, the, the help of the fellowship who, who helped to heal him. But from that point onwards, he's wounded in a way that can never be healed uh, by this earth. And I think that is a, a kind of death because uh, spiritually he's taken on this great amount of suffering and until he dies, he will never fully recover. And so uh, this is a very mystical point that Tolkien has understood that um, in the Catholic life, all the saints will follow Christ um, like Christ says to Peter, a, a rope will go around your waist and you'll be taken to a place where you don't want to go. And that's because you'll be taken to a place of death, a place of suffering. Um, everybody has to go through this. And uh, Tolkien's characters are showing this mystery that death is going to bring something new. It's going to bring a love um, that has an eternal endurance. And actually, it's that love that you see Frodo um, take upon himself, um, a, a love that that is able to uh, ultimately bring him all the way to the cracks of Mount Doom where uh, the ring providentially will be bitten off his finger and uh, the, the story will be able to uh, consummate in, a, in, in the ending uh, which is so glorious. Um, but there is a point of death and suffering which is leading to glory and uh, an eternal endurance of love. Let's look at other characters. I mean, this is all over the, the mythos, all over the kind of... Um, structure and uh, culture of Middle-earth. Um, Aragorn. Aragorn has to take a kind of purgatorial path. He goes down the paths of the dead. dead. Yeah, on the paths of the dead, he's actually calling the unfaithful to fidelity. He calls uh, the, those who were banished uh, for not um, fighting on behalf of the king. And Aragorn is ultimately, in going to the paths of the dead and calling the unfaithful to allegiance, um, he's actually going to call them back uh, to receive glory and eternal endurance by um, fighting ultimately at the Battle of Pelennor and uh, having a very instrumental role in the victory. Um, so there again, you have that swing between death and glory. Um, so if we look at uh, what's left after looking at a priest and a king, um, you have the kind of prophetic presence. Now, obviously, this is Tolkien's Catholic unconscious coming out in the work, and it's, it's conscious by revision in terms of him seeing that uh, thematic presence. Um, but there are many prophetic figures. Uh, Gandalf comes to mind as a prophetic figure, and specifically in the way that he sacrifices himself um, on behalf of the Fellowship to defeat the Balrog. Um, this is another example of death, the divine paradox bringing life. He comes back as a transfigured character, uh, Gandalf the White, filled with the presence of um, the secret fire who he says he is a servant of on the bridge of Khazad-dûm. So you have that uh, that swing between 
transfigured love, transpierced love, a love that goes from death to glory. Oh, let's just take Theoden as well. Everybody loves it in the films when he shouts death, death, death. <laughs> they're riding into certain death, but there is, uh, they're on the side of, um, of the, the, the creator of Middle-earth. Um, it's actually in the etymology of uh, uh, Tolkien's joy of uh, linguistics, the etymology of the names, Theoden, uh, Theos, uh, the, the god, mm. and uh, Death-Thor, who is also choosing death. Therefore, you have the pagan, um, the pagan understanding of death, where death doesn't lead to anything. Um, so he casts himself off uh, the. It's very dramatic in the films. He casts himself off the, um, off the, the the parapets into certain death. But there is no glory. There is no eternal endurance. Um, it is really just uh, an abyss of nothingness. Um, so there's an encouragement uh, very much in Tolkien. On the one hand, he's saying, yes, there is the long defeat, but um, in the context of the divine paradox that death brings life, just one way that we can see these themes coming about. Mm. It's, it, it really strikes me that um, just recently I was preparing an episode on Harry Potter and perhaps this is my sensibility, um, but listening to what you said, perhaps the reason why Harry Potter has such cosmic universal appeal to our generation is precisely because it's very much a story that where death is celebrated, embraced by the heroes, whereas it's shunned and ignored and flown, uh, kind of something to flee from by the enemies. You know, I, I found out that um, the, the etymology of the name Voldemort means he who flees death. So it's whereas Harry is the one who openly receives and welcomes welcomes death in the sense of like Christ taking it upon himself, um, uh, you know, out of love and allowing evil to be absorbed in his very self, but then to have that glory as you were talking about um, restored by the defeat of evil and obviously the the salvation of um, well, the magical world. Um, I wonder whether the that's perhaps one of the you know you talk about the heroic virtue that that tolkien is able to bring and to um, remind us of in, in our day and age is is there something about the fact that our our kind of very post-christian secular culture has flown from death has is, it's not something we embrace it's not something we're conscious of um because it's something we fear whereas tolkien's like here's death front and center through the main characters through the main themes of lord of the rings but it's not something to be afraid of yeah, so uh, Tolkien was um, all over Beowulf. He this was one of his favorite um, uh, kind of artistic projects. And in Beowulf, you have the hero who's situated within a pagan cosmos, and the the scribe, the one who's actually put together the story of Beowulf, is a Catholic, a monk probably, um, who's mediating the oral tradition. So there you have the hero who is actually fighting against, rallying against death. Anglo-Saxon poetry is filled with this um, memory of uh, uh, the pagan worldview where death really was the finality. And he was, he was touched by the kind of heroism uh, in the face of death. He, he thought the pagans had this in a beautiful way because their world wasn't touched by the incarnation and the transfiguration and the resurrection. So he wanted to bring that heroic, uh, heroic uh, kind of spirit in the face of death. But um, as he was uh, un unconsciously creating a Catholic work and conscious by revision, it is touched by this hope uh, for the incarnation, this hope for the resurrection, this hope for the transfiguration. 
so he, he, he learns from the pagans this kind of heroism in the face of despair. And he thinks that is a very uh, characteristic feature of um, pagan literature. Um, but he, it is colored by um, his Catholic, Catholic, Catholicity. Mm. Um, so all mystics are really on that uh, zenith. The mystic is the one who is, um, and, and the saint as well, Vatican II teaches, the saint is the one who embraces the joy and sorrow of uh, his generation. It is specifically at the point of death that the divine paradox takes hold. And the divine paradox is all about the light passing through at that point. Mm-hmm. If you're enjoying this episode of The Myth Pilgrim, do consider sharing it with your friends so that we can together encounter God veiled in our favourite tales. I'm always open to your feedback and ideas too, so always feel free to contact me on The Myth Pilgrim Facebook page or through the website at themythpilgrim.com. So, Danny, it's quite well documented in um, some of Tolkien's writings and his letters that he had a great love for the Blessed Sacrament and Our Lady. Um, is there something you wanted to explore about that or break open a little bit more from your experience? Yes, it's absolutely foundational. And um, if you miss this, I think you miss Tolkien and you miss um, everything. <laughs> so it's important, it's important to know it and it's important to see it and to recognize it. Um, but in his, in his letters, he refers to the Blessed Sacrament as that which, out of the darkness of his life, so much frustrated, he puts before us the one great thing to love on earth and the one great thing to adore on earth. And it's the Blessed Sacrament where you'll find fidelity, honor, glory, romance, and the divine paradox of death, uh, which brings life and eternal endurance to all human love upon the earth. And so um, to open that up for uh, our viewers, he saw the Blessed Sacrament as really the doorway into the eternal story. It was the doorway into the very mystery of God, that God would take upon himself death and transform it into the doorway uh, to heaven. And so fidelity and romance and glory and honor are all there uh, in the Blessed Sacrament. And so he sees death as this doorway into the mystical truths, this as death as the doorway into eternal endurance, death as the doorway into glory. Um, so this is so important because he'll talk about the long defeat on the one hand, that everything is going uh, towards decay and destruction and, and suffering and evil. But what is beyond this? What is the transcendence that breaks through specifically at that point? And so it's, it's this divine paradox that the light, the eternal light that uh, the, the bards see as legendary fire that kindles them to, mm. to, to play upon their harps. It's that light which they are actually uh, touching, reaching um, out for. And it's that light which is certainly coming. And it's mm. that certitude that the light is coming, which gives hope, which gives light, which gives warmth, which gives gentleness, which gives purpose and uh, which gives uh, prosperity to all of the actors within the theodrama of middle earth that they must continue to fight for the secret fire mm. um, so that's really the eucharistic uh, vision it's also known as the sacramental vision and if you look at it uh, objectively it's specifically where love for our lady is the highest that you maintain this transubstantiation tradition and you maintain this sacrificial eucharistic tradition um, if you go into a low evangelical church, the honor of Our Lady is absent, and so is the priesthood. Um, so they're actually inseparable, and the Eucharist and Our Lady are, are hand in hand. 
And uh, this would make sense because Tolkien would have known that Our Lady uh, was the monstrance of, of, of Christ, monstrance, monstrare, to show. She bore uh, the Godhead, uh, the Trinity in her womb uh, for nine months and then uh, birthed uh, the Logos uh, incarnate, the God-man Jesus Christ uh, into, uh, into Middle-earth, into Middenyard, into, uh, into this creation. Um, and so Tolkien would have seen uh, that uh, inseparable connection. He would have sensed this unconsciously in his art uh, between the Eucharist and Our Lady. And that's why he says to Father Francis Morgan that his whole perception of beauty in its simplicity, and you think about the simplicity of the host and the monstrance, and magnificence, that this is actually the Godhead, all my perception of beauty in its simplicity and magnificence, I have learnt from the Virgin Mary. So hang on a minute, let's just uh, take the man on his words because anybody who goes to Tolkien will say this is profoundly beautiful, this is profoundly transformative because of the way that beauty is calling me through this work. If you go into the Greek, beauty is kalim and it has the sense of being called uh, because beauty is calling you to a transcendent story, it's calling you to a transcendent truth, it's calling you into a healing narrative. And uh, so Tolkien um, is very aware that this beauty resides in Mary. She is our doorway into the Trinity. She is our doorway into the Eucharistic presence. She is our doorway into uh, the most intimate of connections with mm. Jesus Christ, the God-man, the Logos incarnate, uh, the one who has come um, into Middenyard, into Middle-earth. Mm. So there we have it today with our guest speaker, Danny Cote-Davis. I hope you found it enlightening and that it has deepened your love for the work of the Lord of the Rings. To delve further into some of the themes Danny discussed today, I will leave a link in the show notes and a website to Danny's wonderful documentary called Tolkien About Faith, The Call to Beauty. <laughs> Even the name sounds exciting. It is a very well put together documentary and covers a broad sweep of Tolkien's genius and influences as a devout Catholic. It also makes a convenient and delightful practical pilgrim exercise for this episode, so definitely give it a go. And especially for those of you listening in New Zealand, hello! I'll also leave a link to those epic Silverion camps that Danny spearheads, and who knows, Maybe you might know a young person you could send along to them and encounter the rakah and the glory of chivalry and how that ties in with the Christian life and Christian faith. So, yes, until next time, guys. Journey forth, take care, and God bless. <laughs>